Welcome to Oikos. Awesome. So we are in this series called John, and we're in John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 5. We've got a lot of the Lord's work going on today with a message, with a baptism, with the Lord's Supper. And so prepare your hearts for the Lord to do great things today, either in you or among others. He is at work today. So in John chapter 5, if you found John, John is the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth gospel in the Bible. We're going to be in verse 16. It's where Jesus declares that he's the son of God. And people don't like it. It starts in verse 16. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. So just to give you a little bit of context, what was going on right here is that right before this, Jesus had just healed a paralyzed guy who had been waiting 40 years. He's hoping that he could be healed. Almost 40 years, he was laying beside or trying to get to a place of healing. He'd reached the pool, and he thought at the pool would be his healing. But he could not get in the pool. We don't know if he couldn't get in the pool because he had gotten so used to being paralyzed that he was scared what would happen next. We don't know if he couldn't get in the pool because other people would push him aside, getting in the pool before him. But what, for whatever reason, Jesus looked upon him and said today would be the day that he'd be healed. And he's healed. And what they first start criticizing Jesus about is that he told the man to pick up his mat and walk. And that would be breaking the Sabbath. Then they turned the criticism directly to Jesus because they found out that he was the one who healed him. It's for sure that when you do what God wants, somebody isn't going to like it. When you do what God wants, somebody isn't going to like it. When you hear that the Lord wants you to stop and pray with a coworker, somebody isn't going to like it. I had the opportunity to go to a local elementary last Ash Wednesday. I was asked, it just so happened to be the school my wife worked at. And so I was asked to go in and do the imposition of ashes. Because so many teachers and many workers across this land and other countries as well, they lose that opportunity because they have to choose between, do I leave work and not have provision for my child or for my family? Or do I see if I can go to a local church. And so many churches don't do it anymore anyways, that there just isn't as many opportunities. So I was asked to go in and do these imposition of ashes. And as I was going in, I thought, you know what? I'm not just going to do imposition of ashes. I think the Lord is telling me I'm going to read from the Bible. Then I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to forgive some sins. And I'm going to do imposition of ashes. And if they kick me out, they kick me out. 
It was my wife's school. <laughs> but at that moment, I was listening and I was hearing, this is what the Lord wanted me to do. So I went in and I did it. And guess what? Someone complained. It was beautiful. We had kids whose parents were getting the ashes imposed upon them, and they invited their kids to come out of their classroom to come down. I probably put at least 30 to 40 imposition of ashes on that day in this, this school in Houston. And someone complained. Not right then, but after. I didn't get the email. My wife got the email. Someone complained, and guess what? Wasn't an atheist? Wasn't an atheist. Was it a Muslim? Wasn't a Muslim. Was it a Buddhist? Nope. It was a Christian. A Christian, and I can't see her heart, so at least she says that she's a Christian. She complained that that shouldn't have happened. When you do what the Lord wants you to do, Somebody's not going to like it. Have you been persecuted lately? Has anyone taken offense against something that you've done for Jesus lately? Just take a moment to think about that. Has anyone taken offense against you doing something for Jesus? If your answer is no, the follow-up question for you is why? Just settle on that. I know it's not a good place to settle, but just settle. If the answer is yes, if you go, yeah, I just did something for Jesus and I got chewed out or someone decided not to be my friend or my family didn't like it, oh, that's, that happens. Sometimes it's the ones who are closest to you that get offended. Well, if that happens, then you're in good company because you're in the company of Jesus. This morning, the message is going to be a little bit different. You're going to see that I'm going to hit several topics, but it's all going to be wrapped up in one. So hold on to your seats because we're moving on to the next topic, and it's just the next verse. Verse 17, but Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father thereby making himself equal with God. So I love this verse. For some reason, I hadn't noticed this verse before this week when we were going through it in morning devotions. But this is going to be a verse that I'm going to keep looking back to on those days when I am weary. It's a clever defense by Jesus. It's a clever defense because he's telling the truth but he twists what the opposition is actually accusing him of. So he says, hey, if you have a problem with healing someone on the Sabbath, if you have a problem with loving someone on the Sabbath, then you're right. My father is always working because he's always loving. 
He's always looking for a way to heal his children. He is always looking for a way to love his children. And because my father is doing this, then I will do this too. Because I am from my father. And I want to be like my dad. I have a friend who's been trying to sell their house for at least over a year. They've been trying to sell their house. They've done multiple cleanings, rearrangings, all kinds of things to try to sell their house. They've been trying to sell this house. They contemplated lowering the price. They contemplated getting different realtors. They've done all the things. So they decided a few weeks ago to take it off the market. And guess what? They sold their house. The father is always working even when you're unaware of what he's doing. He is always working. I was at a memorial service for a dear friend. Her name is, or was, Sue Holman. She had battled cancer for about 27 months, which was a victory because she was told that she'd only have five months to live when she was first diagnosed. People prayed for her. She heard those prayers. I know she prayed. And a few days before she died, some people went in to visit her. She made this statement. She said, God has this. No matter what happens, I win. God has this. No matter what happens, I win. That is a testimony of a person who knows that the Father is always working, no matter what. I love that testimony. When I heard that yesterday, I said, I've got to include this. Because the testimony, the words from our mouths that exhibit what the Father does, they're powerful and they're life-changing. Whether I'm completely unaware or I'm completely aware, the Father is always... Well, that was weak. The Father is always... Let that speak to your heart today. Because I think some of us walk in and we forget that He's actually walking alongside of you. No matter what your circumstances are, He is working. Verse 19, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. So Jesus is really the first disciple. He's the first disciple that ever was. He's being discipled by his Father. And in turn, he chooses to disciple 12 others. And he does it just in the same way as the Father discipled him. He creates space and time to live life with his disciples 
just as the Father made space and time to live life with His Son. There are two key concepts in this verse. The first one is that the Father invites the Son to watch what He's doing. So when you're discipling, and at the end of Matthew's Gospel, there's one commandment that we're given. Go therefore and make disciples. We may forget it, but it was the only thing that Jesus said, you go and do this. When we say that we should go make disciples, he doesn't say, I want you to go plant churches. He doesn't say, I want you to start a new Bible class. He doesn't say, I want to make sure you go to worship every day. He says, two key concepts. Invite people in to watch what you do. Now the key thing is that you're actually watching what he does. Or it all gets messed up. The second thing is that you stop watching and you start doing So the second thing is the son does what the father does. So if we're a disciple of Jesus, we watch what he's doing, then we do what he does. That's pretty easy, right? So why do we get it so complicated? So we need to begin watching what Jesus is doing. He's still active. He's still working. Just as the father is always working. Verse 21. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge, so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. So what is awesome about Jesus being the judge? I thought about that this week. What's awesome about it is that when you look at the life of Jesus, he responds to people in two ways. At the woman at the well... He has great compassion for someone who is desiring to have life. So he gives her life. For those who approach him, for the man who is paralyzed, he gives healing. Someone who is broken and says, I can do nothing more. I need you. He responds with grace, love, and restoration. He responds differently for those who come to him that are not humble, who think they've already got it figured out, who say, we already have our way, and we'll take a little bit of you, Jesus, but we don't want all of you. For those, he gives great challenge, a challenge that many will not accept. For the young rich man who comes before him and says, what do I have to do to to follow you, Lord? He says, sell all your possessions. And the guy goes, 
I'm not sure if I'm ready to do that. Jesus is a judge that when you come to him and you say, I have nothing to offer, he says, you can have everything. When you come to him and you say, I got something to offer you, he says you don't get it. It's much easier to approach a judge and just simply say, I really have nothing. I have nothing. So I need you. As I thought about Jesus being the judge, I thought, you know, that's a pretty, pretty awesome judge. For those of us who've ever been accused of something, to be able to just step before that person, even though that's hard, and say, I have nothing to offer. I have no defense. And to have that judge come back and say, because you have no defense, you are free. We don't always like that. We like it for ourselves. We don't always like it when it's for someone else. But that is what's awesome about Jesus being the judge and that we're not. Because Jesus is fair, complete, and full of grace. John puts it another way in a later letter in 1 John chapter 1. If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. When Jesus is the judge, you can simply come before him and say, I'm a sinner, and I need you. And we know from his actions, his character, that he will say, you're forgiven, and you're free. In chapter 5, verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, for they have already passed from death into life. I think sometimes we forget that the moment you believe in Jesus, we're going to experience a baptism here in just a few moments. That the moment the true is baptized, he has died. And now has begun his eternal life. How many of you walked in today and were thinking, I'm already living my eternal life? I want you all to know that in these words, Jesus is saying, your eternal life has already begun. Now, that might just kind of go to you and pass by and not mean much. But this week, it meant a lot to me because I began to reflect, if I really believe that my eternal life has already begun, how would I live today and tomorrow with that? 
He says this, they will never be condemned for their sins. I know that in churches, if you've been to worship in your life, you have heard you are forgiven so many times. And yet I think many of us walk out and we still hold on to that sin. For some of us, it's not even the sin that we just committed. It's a sin that has been long, long past. And we've told that we've been forgiven for that sin a thousand times. But when we walk out, we still hold on to that. And yet Jesus says, you will never be condemned. Romans 8 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The power of the Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You have already died, and now you are alive. Your eternal life has begun. You are no longer under the power that leads to death. You are in the power that leads to life. He says this as well, but they have already passed from death into life. If you believe this, is there anything we need to fear in this world? Is there anything we need to fear? Awesome, kids. No. Because the faith of a child knows that Jesus is power than the life that we live. Problem with age is that you see too many things. You see too many things and too many chances for you to say, well, there are some things you need to fear. Because I lived through some of them. But what Jesus says is, return back to me. Your life has already begun. You have nothing to fear. This body, yeah, it's going to die. But you have life that's begun today. This isn't something, and this is, I think, one of the biggest mis-theologies that we have in the church is that we think that this life is all about another life. No. You live today. You're in his kingdom today. What you do today is a part of your eternal life. He wants you today. He's not waiting around until you die. I wonder why we wait around. So what risks would you take for the kingdom of heaven if you believed you were already living your eternal life? Paul wrote to the Corinthians in Corneth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, either way, Christ's love controls us. 
Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. See, you thought I was just making all this up, didn't you? (laughs) He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. For true, he hasn't really accomplished that much life. But that old is going to be gone. And the new will begin. And I give thanks to God that it begins now. The question for us is why do we hold on to that old life when our new life has begun? Last week, when we got an opportunity to hear our apprentice, when preach, he did a good job, right? And he talked about, is there something in your life that you need to let die? The question for you this week, are you willing to let your old life be buried and begin a new life that Christ has offered? Verse 25, and I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. If you've heard the voice of Jesus, you will live. God is so direct and so simple. If you hear the Son's voice, you will live. If you came in here today, you may have felt like you were dying somewhere. I'm sure somebody came in today looking at their present circumstances, maybe in their marriage or in their parenting or their job, or they just looked in the mirror and they said, something's dying. It's not a good place to be. But Jesus can bring life. Or maybe you came in and you say, my circumstances are basically good. Everything's good. And yet I just don't feel alive. Jesus would give an invitation to you as well and say, come to me and I will give you life. A new perspective, another day another chance. Listen to him. Follow him. Everyone's invitation is this. Your life starts today. Whether you've been baptized 30 years ago or you believed in Jesus yesterday or you're coming back to him today, your life starts today. Jesus has the power to give you life 
even when you are dead. Your life starts today. That means there's no more shame. Man, how many of us walk in letting shame kind of be our shadow? Shame for things that you feel like you can't forget. Well, the day Jesus says, remember, in your shame, I'm the judge. And as the judge, there is no condemnation. So be released from that shame and walk with me. Your life starts today. Maybe you've been scared to be persecuted. Anyone been scared to be persecuted? This is one of those questions that you got to all raise your hands. Because I can guarantee you that you've been scared at some point in speaking up for Jesus. Maybe you walked in here and you were like, yeah, I would pray with that coworker, but I could lose my job. Or yeah, I would pray with my family, but not all of them believe in Jesus. Yeah, I would talk to my friend about it, but he's already said that he's just not religious. Maybe you've been scared. Maybe you've been unwilling to believe. Maybe you've been obstinate in your belief that God is actually working for you. That he isn't a distant God, but that he's working for you day in and day out. That he's actually involved in your life and he wants to be. Maybe you have been feeling unwilling to even watch what the Father is doing. And even more so to then do what he's doing. I can almost guarantee, actually I can just say, all of us are in those circumstances. So I should have just cut the maybe off, right? Because basically all of those things, that's where we're at. We're scared. We're obstinate. We are sinners. But I want us all to be able to walk out today and to let that shadow of shame dissipate. And to walk out knowing that our eternal life has started today. So whatever we did is gone. Whether it was good or bad or ugly, it's gone. Because today is a new day. Jesus is inviting us into a new day to see that our life has been secured. We cannot be condemned. And our life cannot be taken away. So we can go through anything knowing that God's got this. And no matter what happens, I win. Who wins? Because God's got this. So no matter what happens, I win. Do you see the posture and the perspective that that gives for freedom? No matter what happens, I win. No more judgments. You have full approval from the Father. You have new life. The old is gone. So let it go. Let the new life begin.
Follow Jesus, watch him, learn from him, and let go of all those fears. There are co-workers waiting to hear about this promise that you hold in your heart. There are family members waiting to hear about this promise you hold in your heart. There are people who are waiting for you to help them, are waiting for you to stop watching what God does and start doing what God does. There's nothing to fear. And yes, when you do this, somebody's not going to like it. But guess who will? Your father. Jesus. They will look at you and say, there's another one for the team. One more for the kingdom of heaven. Are you all ready to take that risk? Have you begun your eternal life? Have you begun your eternal life? This is something to be excited about, right? You can walk out of here. Will we have shame? You might have a little bit. But when you remember, you say, get that out of there. Satan, get behind me. Because I have eternal life. There's no condemnation. And Jesus said, I get to start today. So whatever happened yesterday or the month before or when you were 10, Jesus says, start today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you created this family. You called us out of darkness into light. You've given us promises. In baptism, a promise that we get to be a part of your family, that we get your name placed upon us. That you will pursue us. You'll call us back home when we stray. That you're the judge. That when we come before you and acknowledge that we have sinned, we're forgiven. Even though the world may see that as being unfair, you have called that fair. And you have invited all of us to step into this new life, to step out of the life where we dog ourselves in what we haven't done or what we should do or what we didn't do into a life where we are free and invited to just fully participate in the things that you are already doing. So Lord, give us that freedom. Take away our apprehension and let us join you on this adventure. Help us to see each day as that adventure. And we have nothing to fear only huge tasks and great things that you allow us to participate in. Great opportunities. And may we remember the words of Sue Holman, who's with you now. That God's got this. So no matter what happens, I win. Amen.